The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. the words of eternal life. Alleluia. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Our flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you find on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus is living. Jesus is here. Jesus, my Lord, come closer to me. Jesus, our Savior, dying for me, and rising to save his people. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength, and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. When you were growing up, Did you ever have a movie that everybody in the household was allowed to watch, but you weren't because you weren't old enough? No? 
Okay. If you're yeah, if you're the younger sibling, probably. I had I had older aunts and uncles who were like five or ten years older than me, and so sort of like having older siblings, there were all of these movies that sounded fantastic in the other room. But you weren't allowed to watch them. And one of them uh, was a movie called Willow. Show of hands, who, who, who saw Willow? Almost nobody. Well, now you have homework. No, I'm, I'm teasing. No, but Willow was, became one of my very favorite movies because it's the kind of movie that I, that, that I love. It was, it was slim pickings back in the, in, in the 80s and 90s to find decent fantasy films that were made. Now there's lots of options and lots of really wonderful options. But back then... There, there was not great stuff. There was, you know, there, there was Hercules, the legendary journeys. And that was about the best you could, you could hope for. But Willow was fantastic. And there's this, there's this character. I'm not spoiling anything for you so you guys can, can go and enjoy this. But there's this character who it, it shows up at the beginning-ish of the movie. And he introduces himself as the greatest swordsman who ever lived. Which is quite a boast, you know. To, to proclaim yourself the greatest of anything in particular is quite a boast. And he continues throughout the film to be complaining. He's, he's like, oh, I could just fix all of our problems. If, if somebody would give me a sword, all of our problems would go away. And then finally, you get to the, the, the middle-ish, the, the end middle of the movie, and he gets a sword in his hand and is, in fact, really good. He gets rid of all of the bad guys who are nearby. And the main character looks at him and goes... Wow, you are great. And I think about that every time that we read this story about Jesus sitting with Peter. Where there's sort of this, this awe that you can hear in Peter's voice. Like it's, it's as though it has just dawned on him what is going on in his life. What's going on in the world around him. And he's just awestruck for a moment. It's, it's as though he can't figure out exactly what to say. Because... In the gospel lesson today, this idea of greatness is on their minds. It's at the the forefront of their conversation. And the conversation that they're having is about this title of the Son of Man. Now, we don't have time to go into a long, deep dive about what the Son of Man means. So to to shorten that discussion, it is a title that shows up in the the very end of the, the writings in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, excuse me where the, the, the people of God are using this term in order to explain the, the Messiah, the one who is going to be anointed by God, the king that God is going to send, not just to be a heavenly king, but to be a king from heaven who is going to rule over all of the peoples of the earth. He was going to bring all of God's people together, and he was going to deliver them. And so the question that was sort of at the forefront of their conversation is, who is this going to be? And in Jesus' context, this is one of those... Uh, like a, a, a theological question that people would ask because they wanted to be kind of nerdy and look really smart to each other. Sort of like if you hang out with people that have, have grown up in church, uh, you know, they'll, they'll ask questions like, well, what do you think about premillennial or amillennial or postmillennialism? Uh, or they'll say, uh, well, tell me, tell me your thoughts about, uh, about Calvinism. I, I want to know about Calvinism. Do you believe in the rapture? Uh, what, what do you think about young earth creationism? And then we can have these conversations where we use all of these big words and impress each other. And that's kind of the way that this question was. People in, in Jesus' context would, would sit down. And if, if you wanted to be really impressive to, the, to, to the, the, the elder who was there, you would, say, you would say, Rabbi, who do you think the son of man is? And then the rabbi would sit back and he would begin to explain. But Jesus turns the conversation over 
he sits down with his disciples and he says to them, who do people say the Son of Man is? He invites them to pause for a moment and think about what they're talking about in these contexts. He invites them to pause for a moment and consider what God's salvation is going to look like. And of course, they give him lots of really good responses. If you're looking for the person who in in the Bible is going to be God's forever king, these are some really good options that they lay out, right? Because the first one is John the Baptist. And When you look at the life of John the Baptist, this is somebody who just goes toe-to-toe constantly with all of the the wicked rulers of of the day. And he doesn't let anybody get off with their their sins. And nobody is off the hook whatsoever in John the Baptist's ministry. But not just that, he is calling all of the people to one place so that they can pursue repentance. So that they can turn their hearts back toward the Father. If you're looking for somebody who's going to be the forever king that God is sending to his people... That's not a bad place to start. But some of the people, he says, mention Elijah. And Elijah is a really good candidate for this, all right? Because maybe maybe we're forgetting a little bit sometimes because all the Bible names kind of run together, right? So Elijah is the guy on Mount Carmel, okay? He doesn't just, you know, denounce wicked rulers, Elijah challenges them to theological duels. He calls their gods together at the top of a mountain and said, let's see who's real and let's see who's awake and let's see who cares and let's see who's powerful. And then afterward, he takes all of God's people with him and they destroy all of the idols and they kill all of the false priests. This is somebody who goes literally toe to toe with the people who are oppressing God's people, who are leading God's people into error. But he doesn't just do that. We see incredible miracles in the life of Elijah. Not just that he pronounces God's commandments of of drought, but there's miracles of abundance. There's miracles of restoration. There's even resurrection that occurs. People who were dead, come back to life when Elijah lays his hands on them and prays for them. In fact, his story is so incredible that as Elijah's life comes to an end, flaming chariots come and gather him up and carry him bodily into heaven. The disciples say it could be one of the other prophets, and the other prophets are doing exactly the kinds of things that you would want to see God's anointed one perform, calling people to return to him, calling them to be faithful to the covenant that God has made with his people, calling them to repent, to turn away from wickedness and from idolatry, and to place their hope in God, to place their hope in his salvation, in his protection, in his restoration. All of these are excellent candidates. These are all fantastic answers to the question. And yet the king that God sends, the anointed one of God, the one that God places his likeness on, that God places his blessing on, is going to have to do more than just those things. It's not that there's something wrong with calling people to repent and challenging idolatry and false leaders and performing signs and miracles. All of those are going to be things that God's king is going to perform and going to do and going to embody when he's with his people. But I want you to listen again to Isaiah's words to us. He says, listen to me, 
All you who pursue righteousness. You that seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, Sarah, your mother, the ones who carry my blessing and who give life. For the Lord will comfort Zion. The Lord will comfort His people, His nation, His kingdom, His household. He will comfort all of her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like a garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of a song. Listen to me, my people. Pay attention, my nation. For teaching will go out from me. And my justice will be a light to the nations. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out and my arms will rule the peoples. The king that God promises, the king that God is sending, is not just going to be a king who calls God's people to repentance. He's not just going to be somebody who works signs and wonders. He's not only going to be somebody who confronts the idols of the world, but the king that God has promised is a king who will bring justice to his people, who will give deliverance to those that belong to him, who brings salvation to the world. He's a king who is going to make all creation New. And knowing this, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? And God bless Peter. Peter is a wonderful, wonderful person. He's kind of goofy sometimes. He just, you know, he gets, he gets carried away with some, of his, with some of his nonsense. There's something so deeply relatable about, uh, about Peter. This, this fisherman who comes to prominence, who, who becomes one of the leaders among Jesus' followers. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. We lose some of the weight of that because Christ is sort of a, a byword for us in, in, in Christianese language. We just stick it onto prayers and we sort of append it at the end of sentences and uh, you know, we add it at the beginning of a blessing and we don't really pause for very long to, to consider that. And it's worth pausing just for a moment to listen to what he says. Because he doesn't just say, you are Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that, right? Because Christ is not his last name. We've talked about that before. We use it that way. We think about it in that way. But that's not what it means. What it means is that you are the Christ. Jesus says to them, who do they say the Son of Man is? And the disciples give him lots of really good answers. And then Jesus says to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are 
the Son of Man. You are the King that God has promised. You are the one who carries God's anointing. You are God's presence with us. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter says, I see God's presence in you in our midst. When I look at you, I see God with us. Because greatness is not about our performance. It's not about prophetic voice and it's not about the incredible things that Jesus has accomplished. The greatness that Peter sees in Jesus isn't because of what he has done, but because of who he is. He says, you are the anointed king. You are God with us. Because when God is with us, the lost are called home. And when God is with us, the false gods are being cast down. And when God is with us, we experience wholeness and healing and forgiveness. All of those things that that we could say about John the baptizer, about Elijah, about the other prophets, all of those things that we could say about them are true because in them we catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. In them we see just a, a glimpse for a moment of what God's promised king is going to be like. But Jesus makes an even deeper promise to us through the disciples, through the the retelling of this experience by St. Matthew, Jesus gives us an even deeper promise. Not only that there is forgiveness, not only that there can be healing, not only that oppression is coming to an end, but he says to them, Isaiah said for you to look at the rock. Isaiah told you to seek the Lord, to look to the rock from which you were hewn. And Jesus says, I am the cornerstone that was laid in Zion. Jesus says, look at me, I am the rock. Look at me. The confession of Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is the confession on which the whole of the church is built. When Jesus says that, when Jesus says, It was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my Father. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. There are only three times in the Gospels that the word church appears. And this is one of those times. Jesus directs our attention to this promise. That the church is going to be built on this confession that he is the king that God had promised. That he is the Messiah who has come to set his people free. That he is the redeemer who will buy us back and lead us home. The promise of God is rooted in that confession. That's who we are. God's people are the ones who have been brought home, who have been redeemed, who belong to the new covenant that Jesus Christ has made in his blood. And Jesus says to them, look at me. This is the rock that you are grounded upon. And then he makes this promise. And we miss something because we have heard this phrase too often and we skip past it. He says to them, this is the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there's a couple of problems with that, with, with that translation. The first one is that Jesus doesn't say the gates of hell. 
Jesus says the gates of Hades. And in Jesus' world, the disciples, the people who were gathered around him, would not have heard the word Hades and thought like we would think of like, you know, the God of the underworld with all of his, with all of his devils and his, his dominions and evil and the forces of darkness. They don't hear the word in that way. When they hear that word in Greek, they're thinking of the Hebrew word Sheol. They're thinking of the word that's used for the grave, for death. Jesus says that the gates of death will not prevail against my church. And the image that I think pops into my mind when I read that is like the, 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 the grave sort of coming up and it's just, you know, I can't do anything because the church is so cool. But again, that's not what Jesus says. That word that he uses, prevail, means stand up. He says to them, this is the rock. This confession, I am the Christ. This is where the church is founded. And the church that is founded endures forever. The church that is founded is immovable. But listen to what he says. The gates of hell will not stand against it. That's the promise that Jesus gives. The gates of death cannot stand against the church of God. The image is not of the the gates of death coming after the church. It's exactly the other way around. The promise that Jesus gives to his people, to his church, is that in this church, the gates of hell won't be able to stand up. In the face of Jesus Christ, in the face of God's presence with God's people, death loses. Death can't even stand up anymore. Jesus says the gates of hell, the gates of death, the abode of the dead cannot hold power over you anymore. The gates will be open and I will bring all of my people home. The church will prevail over the gates of death. Jesus says, I am coming to bring justice. I have come to bring deliverance, to bring salvation. Jesus' promise to them and to us is that I have come that you might have life. Life that overflows. Life everlasting. Life eternal. Life that never ends, that never runs out, that never dries up. I've come that you might have life and justice and deliverance and salvation. He says to Peter and to the disciples, he says to us today that on this confession of faith, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. My church is built. That because of this confession, because of this faith, there is a new creation being born. The old things are passing away and everything is being made new again. Because Jesus is God's presence with us. Because the life that we share in the midst of Christ's church is a life that doesn't end, that doesn't stop, that doesn't go away.
And those are truths that we need to hear today. Because some of us are sitting here today and we feel lost. Some of us are here today and we feel like we are trapped and oppressed. Some of us are here today and we feel like we're broken and incomplete. Some of us are here today and we feel like the gates of death are prevailing against us. And to each one of us today, Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? It's a question of trust. Who do you say that I am? (coughs) Is he just a prophet? Is he just there to call us? Is he just a miracle worker? Is he just a ruler to come to set us free? Or is this God with us? Is this God's presence in the midst of his church? Is this God who has come to give us life? Who's come to give us justice? Who's come to give us healing? Who's come to give us wholeness? Who's come to make all things new? The question that Jesus asks his disciples, he asks us, who are also his disciples today, as he invites us to his table, as he speaks to us through his word, as he meets us in the midst of our fellowship, he says to every single one of us again today, who do you say that I am? Let's stand together. And in unison, we declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.